know, one of the worst words in our industry, of all the words that you can use, one that you should maybe remove is the T word or tracking. Now, what's wild is decades ago, I mean, a long, long time ago when I was in college, we looked at the problems that were caused when you tracked students. I'm telling you, like, I'm not going to lie. This is 1996 to 2001. We knew that back then. And yet schools still track and segregate kids based on ability. Sometimes it's really about separating students from different neighborhoods and cultures and races and so on. But the worst part about tracking really is that it limits opportunity. And that's what education is all about. Education is about opening doors and creating opportunity and access so that our greatest resource in the world, our children, can help the world become a better place, right? And live meaningful lives that are fulfilled, contribute to society, and so on and so on. So today's guest uh, has a powerful story of detracking math, a very difficult subject to uncouple from the T word, but he did it and was successful. And so we'll, we'll dig into that story. And later on in the program, we're going to talk about a really cool opportunity George has for the Ruckus Maker listening called the Equity in Action Academy. They'll have a cohort available February through April. And if you want more information, there's a link for you in the show notes. Now, aligned to this idea, uh, it would make sense for me to recommend some of the best books that we've read on that topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the mastermind. And so that is a focus, something that we care deeply about at Better Leaders, Better Schools. And so if you want a recommendation of, I think it's four or five books that you could start off with, maybe it's a faculty you know, read, uh, maybe it's a book club thing with parents, I don't know. Maybe it's a smaller pilot that you do with just your leaders. You can get uh, my recommendations just by going to betterleadersbetterschools.com slash equity books. And equity books is all one word. So no dashes or spaces, anything like that. You could also just search it on the website. Uh, and finally, um, there's a really cool video called Sawabana uh, and a concept of Sawabana. It's about seeing people and belonging that George talks about at the end of the podcast. And so not only will you get uh, the recommendations for great books, but you'll get a video to go deeper into the concept of Sawabana. And I can only encourage that you know, very highly. So check it out. Hey, it's Daniel and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for you, a ruckus maker. That's somebody who's out of the box thinking and making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after some short messages from our show sponsors. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as a part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate of school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading Learning runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Better Leaders, Better Schools is brought to you by school leaders like Principal Gutierrez using TeachFX. Special populations benefit the most from verbally engaging in class, but get far fewer opportunities to do so than their peers, especially in virtual classes. 
TeachFX measures verbal engagement automatically in virtual or in-person classes to help schools and teachers address these issues of equity during COVID. Learn more and get a special offer from Better Leaders, Better Schools listeners at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Well, hey there, Ruckus Maker. Today I'm joined by a new connection and uh, a champion of equity as well. His name is George Guy. And George Guy's why is empowerment through equity. George works to create more access and greater opportunities within public pre-K through 12 spaces as an equity consultant with the Foundation for Educational Administration. George is also a principal of the Rosa International Middle School in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And George is married to Inna Ray, and they have two adult sons, George III and Joshua. George, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Daniel, and hello to all the ruckus makers out there. <laughs> they are thrilled to have you as a guest and uh, really, really looking forward to learning all you have to share about equity. I think we can we can jump right into the content. And I know you have a powerful story in terms of uh, detracking in your school and district. I think specifically... Uh, regarding math, if I remember correctly. But can you take us to that moment? Yeah, so I started at the Rosen International Middle School in Cherry Hill, New Jersey in 2014-2015. And it became abundantly clear to me in the first two years of my administration that uh, there were certain kids in our middle grades Uh, mathematics courses, which are the only courses that are tracked in the middle grades in grades six, seven, and eight, that were being chosen for higher level mathematics classes and others were not. Uh, So in the end, uh, I decided to check with my uh, leadership at the district level, um, our curriculum and instruction and our assistant superintendent about a potential pilot that we could do to look at more historically underserved students who were not being chosen from our sixth grade entry criteria into seventh grade, which was in effect affecting them from grades seven to 12. So realistically, what our mathematic track looks like is there's a heterogeneous grouping pre-K to six, and then we start to track out students. We have three tracks, or we had three tracks of mathematics in grade seven. Our highest track is a kind of a algebra on steroids, if you will. It's called intro to functions. Uh, and then our second track is a pre-algebra track. It was called seventh grade enriched. And then our lowest track was called seventh grade academic. Now, both uh, seventh grade enriched and seventh grade academic 
had uh, pre-algebra as the content. Some grade and rich would get through the entire grade of or the entire course of pre-algebra preparing students for at least algebra in the eighth grade, whereas seventh grade academic would break that pre-algebra course content into two years. So they would take the first year in the seventh grade, they would take the second year in the eighth grade, thereby um, being ready for algebra in the ninth grade which is wonderful, but they were never on, uh, historically underserved students were never on that accelerated track of seventh grade and rich, which was the full pre-algebra class, or the seventh grade intro to functions class, which was our algebra on steroids. So I decided the the middle ground was the best place to do the pilot. So I looked at uh, students who were receiving free and reduced lunch, students who were African-American, and students who were of Latinx uh, descent. I basically went back into their, as early as their fourth grade testing to see how their mathematics were, because I wanted to get a much wider scope of criteria than our criteria that was currently in place. I called students down, I met with families, and I worked with our math team to design Uh, some pre-teaching pieces that we felt were kind of um, missing out at the end of their sixth grade year that they needed to work with through the summer, provided some summer supports for them as well. And uh, we started with a cohort of uh, about six students from all of those demographics. And what we did was we provided support through the teachers. Uh, I met with the students weekly. Uh, We provided uh, additional IXL support for them on the computational portions. Uh, I worked with our mathematics coach to be able to help the teachers with their level of pre-teaching and re-teaching and the rigor of formative assessments. And we found some success in the 2015-2016 school year. And then we just decided from that point on to continue moving forward with that pilot and just expanding it with a few more students of that demographic each year until finally we got into the 2019-2020 school year and our math supervisor said, hey, we've got enough information from Rosa. We had started with the other two middle schools duplicating the pilot work. We needed to make a decision at that point as a district Hey, because our numbers in that seventh grade academic class were dwindling because we were putting so many more kids in that pre-algebra seventh grade enriched class, what are we going to do with that seventh grade academic class? And I made a recommendation, but the district made the recommendation, got it from the superintendent and got supported by the board. And we are now going into the 2021-2022 school year with a detract heterogeneous pre-algebra seventh grade class. And we still have our seventh grade algebra on steroids class, but we now have a way in which we can look at detracting for the eighth grade in the future so that all of our students are going to baseline at algebra, we would say in the next three to five years. And hopefully in the next three to five years, 
those historically underserved students and all of our students will be baselining at calculus by the time they leave 12th grade. And that's students with 504 plans, students with individual education plans, students who are language diverse learners. So we are, um, by this detracking effort, we are really touching our scope and sequence for mathematics education for seven to 12, because a lot of the research says no matter what field you go into college or career, the highest level of mathematics that you've taken in your pre-K to 12 education is a good indices on your level of success. So we want students, all students, whether they enjoy math or not, to have the access and the opportunity to take eighth grade algebra and then to move on four years and take calculus. So that is a very short snippet of the detracking that started at Rosa, but now has expanded to our other two middle schools and now has detracked um, and where we're going to go in the future. Brilliant. And uh, by, by detracking, you know, just to reiterate, it sounds like you just, you're opening up doors, right? You said create an access and opportunity. Research shows, you know, the high, higher level of math you experience, you know, helps uh, determine your success in, in the future. And so you're just saying, hey, every kid's worth it. And we're, we're going to figure out how to support them and give them this uh, this opportunity of rigorous math courses. So I'll, I have to ask, obviously, you're championing this, but maybe the staff isn't as as excited, potentially. I don't know. I could be totally making it up, but just how in. How do you work on their mindset, right? Uh, was was that needed, number one, because I could be wrong. But number two, if, if it was, what, what does that look like to work on your staff's mindset regarding this? Yeah, so it's absolutely an incredible question, Dan. Uh, I think when you take this on, first of all, you, you have to look at early adopters. So we looked at people that were already doing this adoption without me moving the pilot forward. Then we went and got some external help um, with our teachers at all three schools. But we started with me reading uh, Dr. Joe Bowler out of Stanford's Mathematical Mindsets, which really pushes a detracting mindset and rigor around formative and summative assessment. We used that in the 2018, 2019, and 2019 and 2020 school year to start pushing our teachers in this way. Now, because of the pandemic, we've uh, in the last 18 or so months, we have not had the same opportunity to continue to push that professional learning in that area, but we will. And I think we were pleasantly surprised in the fact that it wasn't that our teachers did not want to detract and move these students into a heterogeneous piece. And it wasn't that they didn't agree with the research around detracking and heterogeneous grouping. They, they agreed with both. What they had difficulty with was wrapping their mind around the how. How, how are we going to do this? Uh, there are so many different varying levels of ability. How are we going to do this from a computational standpoint, from a concept standpoint? How are we going to apply rigorous areas of mathematics where some different types of learners may feel like they're left behind? Or are we leaving behind the higher level learners that may need more enrichment? So it really was around a how. And I think with Bowler's work, they were able to see that the how can be co-constructed. And we needed their teacher leadership to be able to do that. 
Um, we also went outside. Um, our district math group had a chance to speak with Ithaca, New York, and uh, talk about their detracking journey. They're a few years ahead of us. Uh, and they talked about their teacher leadership. We talked with their assistant superintendent. Uh, the pandemic took out our opportunity for one of, for two of their teachers to come and co-present in front of all of our teachers. But we are certainly looking to try and do that this year because we really want this teacher voice around detracking to move it forward. Because uh, if there is any community concern, if there is any student concern, we believe that the teacher voice is going to be the one that is going to quell that concern. If it's just coming from the central office and the school administrators, that's not going to be enough to quell it. So really it's around empowering teacher voice, using mathematical mindsets from Dr. Bowler and expanding that work so that we are helping teachers with the how on differentiating in those in that pre-algebra class. And that has been a district focus. You know, we have all three schools are have all of our um, our after school department meetings together. We've already started with our Google classrooms around formative and summative assessment as it relates to this level of differentiation. So we are working together and with these, these adapters, because we're going into this first year of implementation within this, we are going to have to push one another and support one another. But teacher voice is critical and understanding the how and knowing that Oftentimes I came into this thinking, well, the teachers might not believe the research or they might not believe in the differentiation, but they, they certainly did. It was how do we get there, George? And now it's my job as the building administrator, along with the other two building administrators in our central office, to be able to enhance their capacity, give them the support that they need, and then bring in other stakeholders. You know, we, we have uh, our ESL teachers that are co-constructors of this support with us our uh, special education teachers who are co-constructors of this with us. We haven't used their capacity. And now it is time to kind of bring all of that capacity together to be able to support different types of learners, because this is not going to go anywhere if we don't find success in this differentiated model, if we don't find success next year in eighth grade algebra, if we don't find success in the next six years, when these students will find themselves at 12th grade in calculus. Uh, and even if we don't find success in post-secondary education, it will have all been for naught. And we know that we can't do that without teachers. Right, right. I was uh, about to ask about the parents' mindset, but I think you answered that. I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the highest leverageable thing that you can do, it sounds like, is empowering, co-constructing, you said, with uh, teachers because it's their voice that really parents, you know, end up trusting and believing in because it's that teacher working intimately, obviously, with their kid uh, on a day to day basis in the classroom. Do, do I got that correct? You're, you're absolutely right. But Dan, we did go to uh, different segments of our parent community in the spring right after this initiative was approved by our board. Uh, and we got some feedback right now in the month of October. What we are trying to look at doing because the Delta variant where we are is is expanding. We are looking at uh, a virtual math night around this new course uh, that is going to be teacher run. And they are going 
going to help parents um, with concerns and questions that they may have about the new curricula. Uh, and that is going to be the first time we think in October, it's going to be a good six weeks for families to be able to see, hey, what what is this? And where are our uh, types of questions that we have for learners that may be struggling, but also for learners that feel like, hey, in this differentiated, you know, classroom where there are varying abilities, my child really feels like they've made these particular, met these objectives. How do you help them exceed these objectives? We want to be able to move all children in a differentiated way toward absolute success in this pre-algebra course. So in October, we're going to have that conversation. It's going to, obviously, we as administrators, central and building will start the conversation, but we will have teachers from all three of our middle schools having uh, breakout rooms with families, and they will be taking different types of questions and talk about how they do enrichment for those questions, how they do intervention for those questions, how they differentiate for the for different types of learners, for language diverse learners, how they work on accommodations and modifications for those uh, different types of questions, and then how they assess and the different ways in which they assess. So I think that is going to be important. We are we are doing one in October. Uh, we are going to try to push for another one in January and another one in April. Uh, so that they get an opportunity over the course of at least three times as the content continues to shift and evolve to have these different types of questions and to be able to bring us concerns. We certainly want to be able to reach out to our parent community before they uh, start to say to themselves, hey, I knew about this, but I didn't know it was going to look like this. and I didn't know it was going to look like that. We want to be able to talk with them and uh, make sure that we are putting them in the best positions to support their children. Because frankly, Dan, if I had to be in front of a seventh grade pre-algebra text with my children who are adults now, I'm not quite sure how I would fare right now, even as a middle school principal. So we certainly want to take that out of families' hands, and we want to be able to have them uh, feel like their children are getting all of the supports that they need, and then as uh, families, that they are getting the supports they need as well. Yeah, and you could put me in that in that category too. <laughs> if I had to take some of this rigorous math over, I would need the support as well. Well, George, I'm really enjoying our conversation here, especially focused on uh, mathematics and detracking. Uh, We're going to take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, I want to dig into the Equity in Action Academy. Develop your structures, systems, supports, and culture for excellent teaching and learning in every classroom for every student as part of Leading Learning, a brand new certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include aligning systems with instructional vision, creating structures for your students' academic and character development, developing your teachers, navigating change, and more. Leading Learning runs from February 2nd to March 2nd, 2022. Apply by January 21st. Enroll by January 27th. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. 
Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with George Guy, who is an equity champion and consultant with the Foundation for Educational Administration. And George is also a principal at the Rosa International Middle School in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So George, I mentioned right before the break, there's a pretty cool opportunity that's out there for ruckus makers. Um, I believe that there's gonna be a February to April cohort uh, being planned, and this is coming out in January, so it's a great time for them to check out the Equity in Action Academy. Uh, this will be linked up in the show notes, but if you're just listening, it's at njspa.org. Uh, but George, what is this Equity in Action Academy all about? Yeah, thanks, Dan. I mean, the Equity in Action Academy uh, is the brainchild of the Foundation for Education Administration, which provides uh, professional learning for uh, not only pre-K to 12 administrators, but for central office administrators, for superintendents uh, throughout the state of New Jersey. And um, the foundation has been pivotal over the last five years in its understanding that equity is really the plate. Whereas all of these other pieces, if they can move through an more equitable lens, then we would be doing better work with pre-K to 12 education here in the state of New Jersey and around the country. So the Equity in Action Academy is really an incredible opportunity for teams of individuals and singletons uh, who are coming from districts, uh, all from our 21 counties in New Jersey, but all around the country. Uh, Our first academy right now has uh, four out-of-state folks in our uh, 60, and we do try to keep it small because we do a number of different coaching opportunities. It is broken up into uh, three virtual interactions. They are three hours each. Uh, The first virtual interaction gives an opportunity for um, participants to really understand uh, equity and understand what equity is, what equity is not. And we use the lens of four different areas that we want to approach within equity. We look at language diversity, which is very, very key here in the state of New Jersey. We look at individuals with disabilities or special populations. We look at poverty, and then we look at race and racialization. Uh, And what we try to do is in that first session, we try to get individuals to see how equitable or for lack of better terms, how inequitable some of our practices may have been 
through those four areas. We stay focused within those four areas. And then they are introduced into a data primer, uh, which gets them ready for the next three-hour session, which really talks about uh, equity in action as it relates to data. And within data, within the data three-hour presentation, they uh, look at uh, different forms of data. So they look at kind of the 5,000-foot view form, which is our more of our standardized data. So for those around the country, that could be your NAEP data um, that you may be familiar with, with four and six. That could be your AP data. That could be your SAT or your ACT data. But then we bring it all the way down into what we call street level data, which are both quantitative and qualitative forms that of data that are uh, impacting students in poverty, that are impacting students with uh, language diversity, that are impacting students who are coming to us from different racial backgrounds and are historically underserved, and that students who are dealing with individual education plans, 504 plans, medical plans, or just special populations in general. So we get them to be able to start to look at data and we encourage them to bring some data sets from their districts uh, so that we can begin to understand what that data is. But we force them in those four areas to just bring data within those four areas because there's so much that we can look at. And then in that second session, they are opened up into or they are introduced to something called a problem of practice, which is which is a key way in which you can use data sets to begin to explore equitable outcomes for your school or school district. Uh, and then in the third presentation, we begin to unearth that problem of practice even more. And we talk about a problem of practice really relating to the instructional core. Uh, We talk about the problem of practice really relating to strategic equity goals. Here in the state of New Jersey, we have a comprehensive equity plan that you have to turn in every five years. So we have them look at that. We talk about breaking apart that uh, problem of practice into now that we've got our problem of practice, What is it? How are we going to build a guiding team around that? What are the barriers that could impede us from exploring this problem of practice in a much deeper level? And how are we going to begin to uh, share the problem of practice with our guiding teams that we are creating so that we can begin to work on um, asking some real interrogative statements or questions around this problem of practice within the system? So this Equity in Action Academy is very much systemic in in nature. It doesn't deal with just one classroom. That's why we generally do not have teacher leaders coming to this Equity in Action Academy. It is designed for building and uh, superintendent and central office staff to look at systemic work around equity. So that last session... We all three of the, uh, because we have three consultants that work in this Equity in Action Academy, all three of the consultants are working with the the 60 folks that are there, and they are reporting back on their problem of practice, their guiding teams, um, and everything that went along with that. And then we put them into uh, an opportunity to begin to look at what are the next steps that they need to do 
now that they've put the problem of practice together, where is the data collection going to come or enhance that data collection? How is it that they are going to, now that they've asked some questions, how are they going to answer those questions? And how are they going to put feet and legs to that problem of practice study the outcomes from that problem of practice in a systemic way, and then look at the outcomes of what took place within that problem of practice. So within sessions three and four, I think the uniqueness of the academy is that there is more coaching that is happening. So there's a lot of breakout sessions. There are a lot of one-on-one or team opportunities for work around the data that's informing the problem of practice, the next steps around the problem of practice, what are the uh, barriers to what those next steps are going to be within a normal school day or the function and the ecosystem of a school of a school system? Uh, how do you get around those pieces? Where are some supports? How do you maximize your team to be able to work efficiently? So I think we use not only uh, educational leadership, but we're also using organizational leadership as well to be able to help building and school leaders within this problem of practice modality to be able to push forward so that they are not just finding solutions, but they are um, studying those solutions and seeing if they're replicatable in other forms of the uh, of the system. I think the biggest portion that I didn't talk about, Dan, is that I think we emphasize that within those four areas, we want them to stay small. So we talk about smart objectives in the area of their problem of practice as they're moving forward so that they can manage the change because, excuse me, they can manage the improvement because we do a whole lot of changing in school districts, but we, but it's very rare that we can use the data to say that now this change is an improvement. So that is probably the biggest area that we work on with their mindset that because there are so many things in those four areas of poverty, race, language diversity, and special populations that you want to be able to adjust with. You could look at all four of those at the same time, and you get tempted to try and deal with everything all at once, and you cannot. So you, we really try to work with their locus of control from an ed leadership and an organizational leadership standpoint through that coaching, give them tools to be able to support them. Uh, and then that last, uh, we give them our information so that they can stay in contact with us past those 12 hours and continue to tell us how that change has become an improvement and what steps are they looking beyond the 21-22 school year to replicate that into different areas of the system. Mm. Well, I like that, you know, and they say focus is follow one course until success, right? So you definitely want to have that sort of focus. And I so resonate with the idea of system level change because everybody's system is perfectly designed for the results you're getting. (laughs) So if you love the results, great, you know, and iterate a little more and make it even better. And if you're not happy with the results, the system is still perfectly designed. So by taking that systems level change, you're really able to, uh, well, make a ruckus is what I say. So that's good stuff. Thank you, George. Before my last two questions, just real quick, I, I, I think you've run this Equity in Action Academy before. And so is there just a, a short, you know, sort of story of how a, a school leader's life and leadership was transformed going through this 
program. Yeah, so actually, this is the this is the first time that we've we've run it, Dan. But uh, I've been involved with I would say precursors that led to the development of the Equity in Action uh, Academy, and what we are finding in the work around consultation with here in the state of New Jersey within twenty one all twenty one of our counties is that we are finding that. People, when they come to, we ha- we have a uh, New Jersey Leadership Academy that um, vice principals and assistant principals go through, and they they have a number of different topics that are curriculum and instruction, that are social emotional learning, that are culturally responsive practices, and uh, we have been doing that for many years at the foundation. And what we found was that at the end of those engagements with predominantly vice principals and assistant principals. They have said to themselves, they've come back to us years later and said, listen, I'm five years in and I've got some intractable pieces. And that's why I'm so glad that we started with detracking, because when you talk about the landscape of educational leadership and access and opportunity, when you talk about things that are intractable, that are very difficult to find traction in and move through, you, you talk about tracking as as one of them. So these vice principals and assistant principals, and uh, I would say mid-career folks have, over the last few years of going through our leadership academies, have said, hey, that leadership academy was, was a great professional learning opportunity, but I need something deeper. I need something to go into that can give me the opportunity to move past change into an improvement with something that's intractable. And frankly, I think the time is now. We have, uh, the foundation has always been invested in equity, but I think people are looking at equity uh, since the murder of George Floyd in May uh, of 2020 in a very different way. And I think we are capitalizing off of that movement that is happening with uh, boards of education, with school districts. We know that there are other uh, ruckus makers out there with us that want this type of deeper systemic change around intractable areas. So I can't point to one person or one administrator or one school district's work that has been changed, but I can say that the school districts that we have been working with over the last three years keep coming back and keep join and have pushed us to develop this academy to say, Listen, we need to send a, a group of 10 from our elementary, middle and high schools. We're going to have the, the same. We will decide what the area that we're going to work in, whether it's poverty or race or language diversity or special populations. And we're going to try to articulate it in maybe three different areas in the pre-K to 12 landscape. And we want, because you have done this work, we want more coaching of this work. Because I think when, as a building administrator, it is very hard within our own professional learning landscapes within a school district to get this type of embedded 
coaching, not only in ed leadership and educational leadership, but also in organizational leadership. I think that that is important, that we're, we're fusing what we know about access and opportunity with how an organization functions. And if you don't know the pitfalls politically, socially, um, and all of the other areas within how a system runs itself and the external factors that are uh, moving that system and pushing that system forward, then you could look at all these uh, those four areas, which are which have some intractable areas within themselves, and 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 you could you could do a lot of change, but not make improvement. And that's not what we need. We don't need another academy that helps people change things, but then it's not systemic improvement over time and can't be replicated within the system over time. The other nice thing about what you're sharing there, George, uh, obviously the access, the opportunity, the the leverage of systems level level change. But you've mentioned a number of times now, this is a process that you can repeat. So it has incredible return of investment. You know, learn learn the concepts. You get better at them, but you can keep applying, you know, and, and see the fruit of, of that labor. So thank you for sharing all of that. I'm curious, George, if you could put a message on all school marquees just for a day around the world, what would your message read? Yeah, so I've, I've thought about this for our ruckus makers and uh, when I became a principal in my first principalship, uh, I had a South African saying that uh, I would put on a marquee for all of our uh, schools around the world. Uh, it was Saubana, and it means I see you. And I think it's very important for every one of our individuals that will come within our schools. And now I think within the pandemic, you're not only just talking about your, your children that will come within your schools or your school systems or, or wherever your locus of control may be, but your adults as well, that they are seen in some really uh, incredible, um, sustainable ways. So Sawubana means I see you. And uh, the reply that my students would give to me was called Sikkana. And that simply means, I know that you see me. And I think I would put those two things on the marquee and I would, I would explain them because we want people to know that they have been seen and understood and validated in some really incredible ways within the course of time that we have with them, which is very, very short when we talk about lifetimes in general. And we want them to be able to acknowledge and use their own agency to say, hey, what you have done shows me that you see me, you know me, you understand me, you're validating my existence, you're finding ways for me to build my capacity and expand that capacity with my peers and beyond the school walls. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I believe Sawabana Zulu, if I remember correctly. I've seen a video where somebody's really describing it just like you did. That's nice. And I'll include it in the show notes too. So in case people want to go a little bit deeper with this concept, but I was smiling and snapping because George, you wouldn't know this. The day of this recording, I started something called Culture Boot Camp. It's a free five-day challenge. But long story short, uh, day four, I share that Sawabana video. Because if you want to elevate your culture, it's about belonging, right? Creating places where people belong, feeling seen and heard. And there's a lot of depth there. So I'm just going to tell the ruckus maker listening, go uh, check out the video that I'll link up in, in the um, show notes because it's it's worth it's easily worth your five minutes. It's worth 50,000 minutes of your time. So cool. 
All right, well, last question. I love asking all my guests. Can't wait to see how you're going to answer this. But George, you're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? And what would be your top three priorities? Yeah, my, uh, I, would, I would build my dream school in a open space concept. Uh, and I love I love open space concepts because uh, with Sawubana Sakana, I want to know people and I want them to know I want them to know each other. My top priority in building a school would be the validation of the arts, whether that is visual arts, whether that's the music arts. I think that being a pre K to twelve administrator, I'm in my 14th year now. And seeing all that I've been able to see, there are so many different types of students that are able to show agency through the arts. Uh, It is one of those areas in which it is not attested content. It often is marginalized and but yet has so has a powerful effect on who people see themselves as. Um, When I look at bands, when I look at orchestras, when I look at choral singing, when I look at dance groups, when I look at uh, drama clubs coming together for productions, I think of uh, people using all kinds of skills that they may not have even known they had that don't translate into English language arts, mathematics, science, social studies all the time in the same ways. Uh, And I think that that is absolutely key. I think the next thing that I would prioritize uh, outside of the arts is I would prioritize social emotional learning. Uh, I would really, really push for uh, Castle's model of the five concepts of social emotional learning for all of our students. And I would, uh, you're doing a five-day boot camp. I would, I would really want to start us off with a five-day boot camp around adult SCL and social emotional learning, just so that adults get the opportunity to see what it is that we're, we're, we're trying to do for students. And then I think this, and this is a wish, if I were to assess all of those two things in, in my school, and it was a pre-K to 12 school, what I would assess would be not a standards-based report card and not a traditional report card. It would be uh, a feedback narrative for every child. And um, it would just strictly be specific um, measurable, attainable, results-oriented, and time-bound feedback, smart feedback that we could give to children as it related to the arts, to social-emotional learning. And I think those could be the cornerstones of a incredible, incredible pre-K-12 institution. I think that you can get all of the other contents in varying different ways, But I think if we prioritize those three things, I think our citizenry would be very, very different when they came out of pre-K to 12 education. 
and then invite me on for another podcast. And we can we can talk about the other pieces later. <laughs> you bet. But George, thanks so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast of all the things we talked about today. What's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I want a ruckus maker to remember that when you see people and you don't look at their deficit, but you look at their capacity and you empower them to be creators around their level of agency, that the ruckus making that you are doing will be lifelong. That's what I want the ruckus makers to remember. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.